Welcome to the Bushy Baller Brand Podcast. Due to COVID, we are still recording this podcast over Zoom. So if you hear any audio issues, please bear with us. We want to thank you for your support and listening to us. And let's get to the show because, boy, do we have a good one for you today. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back into the Bushy Baller Brand Podcast. I am Bushy White, of course, like always. I'm joined by David Shane. And David, how are you doing a day after the NBA draft and all the craziness of the NBA? I'm doing great, man. I'm a Sixers fan. Uh, and I was just appreciative to have like a competent draft for like the first time in six years under Dale Morey. So let's go, let's go, Morey. Yeah. Sixers fans have the past few years in the draft have definitely been, you know, suspect of what's going on and they're not always confident i know that you talked to a lot of sixers fans the past two to three years they come out of the draft and they're just like you know like what happened last night what do we do but a lot of fans this year seem to come out of it and they're feeling pretty good um like you said you're already feeling great as a sixers fan coming out of the nba draft and for those of you who are nba fans you're gonna love this edition of the bushy baller brand podcast because we are going straight nba for you at the end, Dave and I will give a couple bets for the weekend for the NFL games. But as for the core part of this podcast, we are sticking straight NBA stories because that's been just the news of the week so far. NBA, NBA, NBA. Sadly, we're recording on a Thursday. Free agency doesn't start for a few more days. We are going to be off next week for Thanksgiving, obviously. But two Thursdays from now, we will be back, hopefully with a lot of NBA free agency moves. But like I said, all NBA this week, and we were just talking about the Sixers, so let's stick with the topic of the Sixers. They were very much the talk of the league the past couple of days, making tons of moves, rumored to be making other moves. Daryl Morey, obviously new to the Sixers franchise, and he did not shy away yesterday at all from making moves. I have the list right here for you guys. The assets and players that he traded away yesterday, Al Horford, Josh Richardson, two second-round picks from last night, and a 2025 lightly protected first-round pick. What did he get in return? Danny Green, Seth Curry, and Terrence Ferguson. And in terms of the draft, he drafted Tyrese Maxey, Isaiah Joe, and Paul Reed. Now, I want to stay with Maxey real quick. I know that a lot of people were saying he was a steal of the draft. And, you know, you look at the history of the past four to five years, when you're talking about Kentucky guards, those guys really – do well. I mean, you're talking about Devin Booker and Shea Gilgis Alexander, Jamal Murray, just to name a few Kentucky guards that have really found their own in the league. Maxi from 23 was, excuse me, 29% from three point last year at Kentucky, which isn't the best, but he did shoot 83% from the free throw line, which a lot of people think is more indicative of how a player is able to shoot. A lot of people, like I said, are calling him a steal. They're loving everything that he's going to do for the team. And a lot of fans and a lot of, you know, analysis say that Tyrese Maxey is one of the better picks in the draft. So before we get to the actual trades, David, I want to get your thoughts on, you know, the pick of Maxey and if he fits into the Sixers and where he fits in and how you kind of see his career as a Sixer playing now. Yeah, I love the pick. Um, I think it's probably the best or second best pick of the draft based on value um, right there with Tyrese Halliburton falling all the way to 12 to the Kings. We might talk about that later. But I think in terms of value, it's definitely one of the best picks of the whole draft. Um, this is a guy who could have easily gone in the lottery. 
I know a few months ago he was projected to, in most mock drafts to go in the lottery. Uh, he kind of fell off a little bit, but it's someone that most people weren't expecting. Like most Sixers uh, people uh, weren't expecting to fall to 21. It was like he was kind of like the the hopeful like please maybe this guy will fall to 21. He probably won't. He was like the hopeful pick that we could get there. Um, and then there was a bunch of other guys we could have gone with there. Um, but I'm real excited about getting him. He's a guard that the Sixers need. The only thing that's, I think, a minus about the pick is he's, he wasn't a great shooter in college, and we do need shooting. But he's his form is fine. He shot 83% from the line. I think he can definitely improve upon that. And he's not afraid to shoot. And he shot, he shot like range shots. But he wasn't always uh, shooting right up on the line. He was willing to take longer shots from NBA uh, from NBA distance. So he's clearly not afraid to shoot. Uh, and I think he, that can get better. His form is fine. Um, so that's definitely something he can improve upon. But other than that, he's a good defender, uh, has a pretty good wingspan. He's very tenacious on D. So as a player with the Sixers, you're definitely looking for that for, for one of your role players, um, for someone who can um, be, be a piece next to Simmons and Embiid. You want to defend and shoot. I think the shooting will come. And then just other than that, he can put the ball on the floor and create a little bit, just something that none of the Sixers can really do. That was like one of their biggest weaknesses the last few years. So I think he can turn into a really good player for them. Yeah. And like you said, the shooting is, it wasn't great, but something he can work towards. And I think that a really important part of his three ball is that he was a very willing shooter and not a ton of guys coming into the league are willing shooters. So when you have a guy who's, you know, willing to take a three and not scared of pulling it from deep, if the percentage isn't there, that's something that you can work on and develop over time when you're in the league, not necessarily something that everyone's going to come in and immediately shoot 40% from three. So I think that Sixers fans, uh, Maxi is someone you can be really excited about. And he seems to be the kind of guy who's really going to work hard, stay focused on his grind. I was reading something that I think it said his workout is he like wakes up at 6 a.m., makes 750 to 800 shots and would like look at film eat lunch, and then go and hit another 800 shots. So he was trying to make, you know, roughly 1,600 shots a day. And that's something that you love to see from a young player. But I know the more – the thing that you're more focused on, obviously, being a big Sixers fan, is the two trades that went down. Um, I'll get to the Seth Curry one, but I really want to start with how do you feel about the fact that the Sixers were able to get off the Horford contract and not just get off of it, but they brought in Danny Green and Terrence Ferguson, who, by the way, Danny Green, three championships with three different teams. And he hasn't just been a guy off the bench who hasn't done much. Like He's been a key part of those championship runs for those teams. Now, last year, you know, with the Lakers, he wasn't exactly his full self. Um, I think that he struggled a little bit in the playoffs. And Terrence Ferguson is a young guy who can jump out of the gym, very solid defender. But Danny Green is one of those three-point shooters that the Sixers were looking for and they got off the Horford contract. So for you, do you think that the Sixers definitely 100% won this contract? And do you see Danny Green and or Terrence Ferguson being part of the Sixers team and potentially making a championship run? Yeah, I love the trade. Um, I love the trade for the Sixers. They put themselves in this situation last year. They signed Horford. I thought it was an okay signing. I kind of talked myself into it just being a fan, kind of talked myself into it like this could work. It didn't work. They put themselves in a bad situation, so they had to give up assets to move him, and that was always what was the trade going to be. That was always what the trade was going to be. Um, I know, like upon first review, some of my friends were kind of, like disappointed. Oh no, we have these picks. We have these picks. 
that's just what it was going to cost to get, get rid of that contract on Horford. It was always going to cost picks. They gave up a second in this draft when a draft really had four seconds, and then they gave up a pick down the line, 2025, the first round pick. So obviously you don't love that they had to give up, up a first round pick, but to get rid of Horford, I, they could it could have been worse. They could have had to give up more. I, I like that that's all they had to give up um, to get rid of him. The best part of the deal is that Danny Green's under contract for $15 million for one year, whereas Horford is under contract for like 25 to $27 million for this year and then has two more years. So you're really – you're getting off money for the next two years to take in Danny Green. So I, I love that. They're, they're clearing a lot of money. And then you bring in Danny Green who – like he fits the team pretty well. Like he can play – he could might get traded again. I don't think so though. I think they're going to keep him because he seems like a person who the Sixers could use a nice veteran presence can shoot the three and he's a good defender. You can put him around Simmons and beat and he can play. So I think that he's going to be here this year. Um, and he's good. He's going to be a player in our rotation. And I mean, that's fine considering, you know, you had to get rid of Horford and then you got a rotation player um, to plug in and a guy who can start, come off the bench. He can do a lot of things. He can be a mentor to your younger guys. Um, he helps with your team defense. And then Ferguson, I don't, I don't see uh, him having much of a role. I wouldn't be surprised if he got dealt somewhere else. Uh, I think he, he's kind of – I feel like him and Korkmaz are kind of like – he's just kind of fight for maybe some rotation minutes with a guy like Korkmaz. Like, they can do kind of the same thing. But I don't think he's really going to stick here. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, he has some potential, but he, he didn't really show it in OKC. He was a little disappointing there. But just the fact that you got – you got a player who can play for you this year uh, and that you got off of the Horford contract. Like it was always going to take up picks to do so or positive assets to do so. And if you didn't think that was going to happen, you were just fooling yourself and being too hopeful. Yeah. I mean, overall, Danny Green, I think that he's a player that the Sixers love to have because he's a veteran, solid defender. And he's somebody that Ben Simmons can drive. If defense collapses, you can kick out and, you know, you're not absolutely holding your breath for him to hit the shot. Like, you're sitting there like, okay, this this is an open three for Danny Green. He's able to hit that. And it is exactly what the Sixers needed. They needed people to space the floor better, and he can rely on for the three ball. Speaking of relying on for the three ball, I want to go to the other trade that Daryl Morey made last night. And this is one where, you know, when we were talking with our friends, there was kind of mixed feelings. I absolutely loved it. Some people were kind of, you know, indifferent about other people where like, I didn't like it. And that was Jason basically trading Josh Richardson for Seth Curry. I know there was another pick thrown in there, but it's basically a Josh Richardson for Seth Curry. Again, Seth, not Steph, Seth. And he's coming to Philly to play with his father-in-law, which I find very interesting. But I absolutely love this move. I'm a big Seth Curry guy. I think that he's exactly what the Sixers needed. A very reliable three-point shooter a career average of over 44% from deep, which statistically is the second best three-point shooter of all time. I know that you're not going to look and say like, oh, I think Seth Curry is the second best shooter, but statistically he is the second best three-point shooter of all time. I think that Seth Curry was the definition of what Philadelphia needed. The guy that, you know, you're not going to hold your breath when he takes a deep three. You're going to love the fact that he's taking a couple threes a game. You're going to feel very, very confident if you kick it out to him even with a defender in his face, if you watch his highlights, you know, defense doesn't tend to intimidate him on the three-point shot. But the argument that I've heard here is that, well, you're going to bring in a three-point shooter, but you're giving up the defense because Josh Richardson was a solid defender. Obviously, Josh Richardson didn't shoot the ball as well from deep as Seth Curry. 
But I think that they were willing to give up the defensive difference to gain in the shooting difference because, I mean, they brought in Danny Green, who we said is a solid defender. And you have Joel, who's a, obviously a great defender. Ben Simmons, def- you know, could, could be defensive player of the year at any given year. And Matisse Thibel, who's going to be in his second year and is known for his defense. So I think to bring in a guy like Seth Curry, they were willing to say, eh, we'll give up the defensive difference because we absolutely love the fact that he can shoot the three ball at a consistent rate. So I know that you were someone who was a big Josh Richardson fan. So how did you feel when you saw that this trade went down? Well, I've always loved Josh Richardson. I thought he, I just, I just love the way he plays, how hard he plays. I love his play style. Um, I love that we had him here for, more, for one year. And I, I didn't know that it was going to be short-lived. He came here uh, in the signing trade with Jimmy Butler. I had two years on his contract, and I knew we weren't going to be able to sign him. So we, this was his a contract year, and we probably weren't going to be able to sign him. So as much as I loved him, I was fine. Like we, He's our only trade piece with like positive value that we'd actually do anything with. So I'm fine with the trade for the Sixers. Um, they brought in Seth Curry, who's pretty much like the best fit you could have gotten with the team. That's the biggest pro is if you could t- have taken any role player on any team, Seth Curry is probably like the best fit for the team because he shoots so well. We know the Sixers need shooting around Simmons and Embiid. Um, and he shoots like 44, 45%. Like, like that's crazy. We, we haven't had a player like that um, in a while. Um, and he can actually like dribble and facilitate a little bit. He played some point guard for Dallas. And that was another thing we need is we cut, we need uh, as Philly needs a, a guy who can dribble the ball and create some things for himself and others. Uh, they kind of had shake Milton in that role last year, playing alongside Simmons, who was like the only other player who could facilitate a little bit. And he, he's not like great at that. And that was one of the problems with Josh is we, we tried to play him at point guard a little bit and he's, he would, that's just not really, the best role for him. So I love this, the Seth Curry fit. Um, on the other side, I just loved it a lot more for the Mavericks. I think Josh Richardson fits them just as well as it does as Curry fits the Sixers because he can defend so well next to Luca and do a lot of things there. And the fact that they got a pick back, I think that they definitely, I don't think that you would say won the deal. Cause I think both teams came away it, with, it was a solid deal for both teams. Um, but I really like it a lot more for the Mavericks, but that that's for, uh, for another day. So the Sixers, they bring in a guy. They had some second-round picks they could give up. They had to give one up to, to, to get a, a guy um, who, could, who could shoot and really help the team. So I'm, I'm fine with the deal. I like the deal. It, it really shows that Maury is, uh, is um, dedicated to come in and actually like surround Ben and Joel with shooters, which is a good thing considering that's not what we uh, did last year. Yeah, and I think for me, like you said, Josh Richardson was, had one year left on his deal. So I think if you're the Sixers, you were kind of looking at a situation like, A, is he going to want to return? B, do we want him to return or do we want him to walk? And so I think that there was you know, some skepticism of whether or not he's going to come back. And you thought, well, there's a good chance that we're not going to re-sign him afterwards. But he still has trade value. Let's try to trade for somebody. And if I have my stats correct, I believe Seth Curry's got three years left on this contract. So that means that you're trading Josh Richardson, who had one year left and he might not return. And you're going back Seth Curry, a phenomenal three-point shooter with three years on his contract. So that means minimally, if you're going to keep him for that, you're going to have a phenomenal three-point shooter, and he's going to be surrounded by Joel and Ben for three years. And, you know, the rest of the moves, Danny Green, maybe they after his contract, if they bring him in for one more year, um, Max, he develops into something great. Thibel continues to do what he does. And so I think that Daryl Morey was looking at more of a, we could have Curry for three years, 
uh, locked in or Josh Richardson for one and maybe bring him back. But if he didn't necessarily fit what Daryl Morey wanted, then, you know, yeah, I think it's ideal that they're able to get the value. But like you said, it's a conversation for another time. But Josh Richardson to the Mavericks is definitely a piece that I think is scary. And, you know, quick note, I think the Mavericks are going to be a very scary team. You know, I think that they're still building pieces, still looking to get a couple more players in to play alongside Luca and Chris House. But overall, you know, the Mavericks are going to be a scary team. But I want to finish out with you before we move on. The Sixers, so far, what they've done, I gave them an A. I saw Nick Wright this morning on First Things First say that he believes that Philadelphia could reach the finals given this roster, but I don't think Daryl Morey's done. So say that Daryl Morey is – say he's done, he makes no more moves, they're rolling with the roster that they have. What do you think is the roof, you know, the ceiling for the Sixers team? Do you think that you could see them in the finals given the current roster and just assuming – which I don't think Daryl Morey's done making moves because he's Daryl Morey, but if he is – and this is it. How far do you see the Sixers going? Yeah, just to talk about your point for a second, that, that was definitely a big pro. Probably the second best part of the deal is that Curry is under contract for three more years um, on, a, on a good cost of $8 million. But to go to your question, um, this team is just there. They could be bad and get swept in the first round again. They could be competitive in the Eastern Conference Finals. They could implode they could like there's so many different outcomes that could happen with the team because every player on like this team seems to have a question mark and bead still has question marks about uh about how uh athletic athletically fit he is uh, for the season and injuries simmons coming off an injury obviously the whole shooting thing tobias had a down year uh, had some games in the playoffs where he didn't even shoot a single three uh, which is what they need from him uh, Danny Green kind of had an off year. Like, there's just a bunch of questions around the squad, but you're building around Simmons and Bede. And I think the big thing that they did uh, was show Maury was showing that like he's dedicated to put shooters around Simmons and Bede. They're going to build around Simmons and Embiid, um, and they're going to put the pieces there that makes them successful, just like they did when they had Covington and Sarich and some pieces there before they made that Butler trade uh, two years ago. They had that was that was when they were most successful. Ben and Joe were so successful when you just had three-point shooters around them. They had Reddick there, Robert Covington there, Sarge there, all people that could shoot in that starting lineup, and their numbers were really good. Uh, so I think that, that that's the big thing that, that they're working towards is putting the right pieces around Joel and Ben. And in doing that, I think they could make the Eastern Conference Finals uh, next year. Well, about them winning that or something, because I think I think that the Bucs and probably the Celtics are, are in better positions than them. And and probably the Heat, too, are, are, are uh, right there with them. So I don't feel great about them going to the finals or anything, but I think they can be very competitive and that they're building towards being a contender. Yeah, it'll be – in my opinion, I think this will be one of the more fun seasons as a Sixers fan to watch. Um, I do want to note this. These guys will have roughly a month together, so I would not be shocked at all if the Sixers came out slow and a little cold just because – they're trying to mesh these new guys together. So they could have a, you know, a slow start, but I think that they'll eventually get their act together and pick it up. And I think that they're a dark horse team. And there's something that the East really has to be careful of and weary of. And the Sixers, you know, like they always have been, they're always in the news. It's Daryl Morey. And this is actually going to be a great transition to my next point, which is talking of James Harden, because there have been plenty of rumors about James Harden. What's he going to do? Why is he one out? Does he want out? Does he want to go to the Nets? Does he want to go to the Sixers? All sorts of talks about James Harden. The reports are 
that he turned down a $50 million a year contract for two years with the Rockets and said that he wanted out. Adrian Wojnarowski has said that the Nets are the team that he's trying to get to, although the past day or two, I haven't really heard a ton about that. Um, so I think that these James Harden rumors, they're all over the place. I see them. He, he's okay with staying. He wants out. He doesn't want out. He wants to go to the Nets. He wants to go to the Sixers. I mean, I haven't seen like a one like solid, this is it, this is what's going to happen. So, David, I just want to get your thoughts on where James Harden is, what the rumors are doing. I want to get your thoughts first off on just everything about James Harden. Yeah, so you're definitely right about the rumors being all over the place. Um, Twitter is kind of crazy with all different kinds of people from Woj down to writers for specific teams and the NBA, down to lower level writers, uh, down to random people with check marks going all over the place about what they think about the deal. I saw something say like, oh, it's a done deal. They just need the, it's a done deal between the Nets and Rockets. Uh, they just need to hash some things out. I saw some people say he wants to go um, to the Nets. He wants to go to the Sixers. Some people say he's fine with staying there. Um, the one report that I did see that I do believe is there was a report basically saying that Houston is, is willing to let it be quote uncomfortable um, and, and to uh, bring Westbrook and Harden uh, into the season uh, and with them on the roster. And I think with Westbrook, uh, it doesn't seem like there's much of a trade market for him. I think he's kind of stuck there. And with Harden, I mean, my thing on Harden is I think he's kind of stuck there too. Um, he, he may want to get out, but I just don't know if there's really any destinations at the moment he can go to. The big one is obviously the Nets. Uh, and the other one was kind of rumored as the Sixers. But if the Sixers were to do it, they would have to give up Ben Simmons. And the way they played the draft last night and some things like that, it just seems like they're real dedicated to building around Simmons and Embiid. And there was something that Maury basically said, we're going to try to make it work with these two players before we give one away. Um, so I don't really see, see the Sixers giving up Ben Simmons uh, right now. And the other big one, uh, the biggest one was the Nets. And there was a report saying he wanted to go to the Nets to play with KD and Kyrie which I believe, I just don't think the Nets have enough. I know a lot of people think that uh, the trade package would pretty much be Karis LeVert, Dinwiddie, and Jared Allen, and so, uh, first-round picks, three or four first-round picks. I just don't think that's enough. We saw Paul George go for about that, or maybe even a little more than that, and Harden's a, a way better player than Paul George. So at the moment, I really think Harden's kind of stuck there. I think they may find a deal eventually for him, but it might be sometime next season. I just don't think there's really a team that – is willing and able to to trade for Harden, considering how much it's going to take to pry him from Houston. Yeah, I think the main issue with Houston is that it, it seems, again, the main focus has been the Nets and Sixers. And like you said, with the Sixers, they wanted Ben Simmons. And I heard that, you know, a lot of rumors saying that if the Nets want Harden, they would have to give up either KD and Kyrie, which they're obviously not going to do because they haven't played together. So I think that, for Houston, they're kind of stuck in this phase of we really want to get like someone on Harden's level or close to Harden's level in return as opposed to a bunch of guys who are below him in some picks. However, I think that, like you said, they're stuck because his contract's up soon, and so you don't want to just let him walk. Like You want to get something in return for him, which is why my gut is telling me they will move him eventually because James Harden is not a player that you just want to let go for, no, for nothing, like just let him walk. Um, even when the Thunder, when he left the Thunder, didn't leave the Thunder, but the Thunder traded him and got assets back. So he's not the kind of guy that you just let go. So it's it's a hard situation because you understand why teams want him 
and you understand why the Rockets want the return that they do, but you also are understanding the other teams like, we're not going to give up Simmons for Harden or we're not going to give up KD for Harden. Like, it just doesn't make sense. So I think that the Rockets are really in a tough space. And like you said, that quote where they were, they're ready to go into the season with an uncomfortable feeling in their locker room. And at the end of the day, I, just, I think Harden's going to be a Rocket starting the beginning of the year. He may even finish the year as a Rocket. But I think that the whole situation as a whole is it's kind of tough to balance because, like I've been saying, they don't want to let him walk. They want an elite player back, but teams don't want to give up elite player. They'd let, rather give up assets and picks. So it's really a tough balance. So for you, before we move on real quick, James Harden, where is he going to be at this point, of this, at the start of the season, and where is he going to finish the season as? If I had to predict, just because it's so unpredictable where he could go, who could give up what to get him, I just think he stays on Houston for the whole year. He still has this year and next year guaranteed, and I think he, he has a player option the year after that. So he still has some guaranteed years. They don't have to move him now, um, but just with, with where the team is at, it might make sense just because it seems like their championship window is, is kind of over. But I, I think he's going to be on the Rockets for the whole season. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think that James Harden will be a Rocket. I, I think it'll be very interesting to see how the season plays out for the Rockets. Um, we're not going to talk about it in depth. I know that the Rockets traded for Trevor Ariza. He said that he didn't like the way that the Rockets treated James Harden. And then they traded Trevor Ariza to the Pistons. So that's a story that's going to be watched. I think that the Rockets are going to be one of those teams that is going to be just the center of attention almost every week of the year because your two stars, Westbrook and Harden, have both been rumored to want out and requesting trades, but the Rockets aren't willing to let go, are willing to go into the season with both of them still on the roster. So I think that that's, the Rockets are going to be just an absolute fun team to you know follow, maybe not necessarily watch, but to follow. And I want to stick with the topic of veteran players possibly and or already moving and we're going to talk about Chris Paul because this was a move that a lot of people I think saw and weren't sure how they felt about it at first but then kind of warmed up to the idea of the trade and that was that Chris Paul and Nader who I don't really think is going to be anything for the Suns but the main thing is Chris Paul uh, they went to the Suns for Kelly Oubre Jr. who is rumored to possibly be trained to the Warriors very soon Ty Jerome Ricky Rubio, who they already traded to the Timberwolves, uh, Jalen Laquette, and a 2022 first-round pick. So obviously that was the Thunder getting a bigger haul back, but two of those guys, one of the guys is gone. One of the other guys, you know, the top two guys that they got in that trade could also be gone. I personally love the move for the Suns. I think that they finally got Devin Booker, the point guard that he's wanted and he's going to play really well with, and the Suns, finally got veteran leadership. I think that's been one of their biggest misses and critical things in that locker room is that they had a lot of young talent, but they didn't have an, a leader and a point guard and a guy who really can show them the ropes and help them lead. And Chris Paul isn't just some guy who's out there who's old and playing. He is playing very, very well. Last year, he led the Thunder to the playoffs, who were given a 0.2% chance to make the playoffs. Obviously, that famous picture that people – Love the post of Chris Paul and says 0.2% chance to make the playoffs. And he averaged over 17 points per game, rated at about seven assists per game, and shot 49% from the field. And he's he's older. I believe he's probably 34, 35. I don't know his exact age. Um, so despite his age, very solid player. I think the Suns definitely got exactly what they needed for this team. I know that you like this trade a lot from what I understand, David. 
So let me just hear how you feel this is going to play out. Yeah, I mean, I do like the move for the Thunder. They just gain more and more assets. And, the, I mean, this rebuild, the Thunder going to go through might rival what the Sixers went through in the process. I mean, this is kind of getting crazy with how many picks they have. But I actually don't like this move for the Suns uh, at all. I really don't like the move. I It was rumored uh, that he, he was on, might be on the move there. And I was like, don't do it, Suns. Like, don't don't fall into this trap. And I, I really thought that uh, – I really thought it wasn't a good move just because I feel like to get CP3 – He's 34, 35 years old. You had to give up like good ass some other players to get him. And it's a it's a it's a win now move for the Suns, and I just don't think they're ready to win now. I think that if anything, he he does provide that leadership we were talking about. He gives Booker a person that he can kind of play off of. Um, but just to give up assets as the Suns, uh, a team to move from a team that's outside the playoffs to move up to maybe become like a five seed or a six seed. I don't think Chris Paul makes them good enough to like compete or anything. So I just think it's kind of a win now move for a team that's not really ready to win now. And I think that giving up those, those assets uh, and paying a guy that old $40 million, I think that those negatives outweighs the fact that you're getting a player that can help Booker can provide leadership and make your team better for the next season or two. Uh, so I just, I don't think it's a great move for them. I know you disagree. Um, so I, I wonder what you think about my take there. Yeah, no, I get where you're coming. First of all, for those of you listening, I understand that David's audio cut out a little bit. But like I said, like I'm sure many podcasts across all platforms are dealing with, we're working with Zoom, we're working with what we got. But uh, yeah, for the main part, I imagine the listeners got your point. Um, yeah, I mean, I do like that you kind of word it in terms of they're trying to win now and they're not ready to win now. But I think that if they just make like one more move, they could be in that realm I think that Devin Booker, I mean, we saw him in the bubble do what he's capable of doing and just taking over and being elite. And so I think now giving him a player like Chris Paul to help facilitate that offense and do himself. And, you know, if Chris Paul can play like he did last year and lead a team of younger players, I mean, this team's got a chance at the playoffs for sure. Are they title contenders? No. But I think overall, I do kind of feel that it was a lot to give up, though, because you're getting Chris Paul – and someone who you might not even be on the team, maybe you'll bench him or whatever. And you gave up Kelly Oubre, Ricky Rubio, Ty Jerome. Those are three guys that, you know, at least two of those guys starters and one guy who could be in the rotation. I think it was a lot to give up for a veteran point guard. I understand your points, but I just – I think that this is the move that put them over the hump of missing the playoffs, but not the hump of making the finals, obviously. So, I, I, I don't know. It's a move that is – tough to analyze until you really see it play out but i'm interested to hear from you do you think this will at least put them like we saw in the bubble do you think this will allow them to at least make the playoffs and maybe not necessarily make some noise in the playoffs but at least be right there to be like a seven or an eight seed yeah i think they can make the playoffs and the like the reason about me not liking this trade i think it kind kind of comes down to philosophy a little bit like if you're kind of a smaller market team like the Suns, you have some pieces and you haven't been able to get over the hump or make the playoffs or do anything like that, then maybe you're sitting there at the GM sitting there and saying like, this is a move. We can give up some, give up some pieces and make ourselves a playoff team, which I think they are and kind of bring, you know, some competitiveness to the team. So I think philosophically that it, it could be a good move under those circumstances. But where I'm coming from is I just think that, 
with how good Booker is and Aiden has a lot of potential, that I think it, the, the better move would have just been to make good, better all-around moves, still keep building for the future, um, and keeping a guy like Oubre who can be, you know, a, a, a good wing for you and build up, keep building up instead of going for like the all-in. I'm getting, we're getting Chris Ball and competing for the sixth seed. Yeah, I know that Devin Booker is a big fan of Chris Paul. So if they, if the, my one thing that I feel like could have been going on is that there may have been a chance that, you know, Devin Booker was getting unhappy with the way they were performing and he was kind of, you know, pushing for like a guy like Chris Paul to come in or else he was going to demand a trade or one out somehow. So I think that this might have also been a way of saying like solidifying Devin Booker wanting to stay there at least for the next year. Because again, to be a player of Devin Booker's caliber and to be on the Suns who have been bad for his whole career and have barely sniffed the playoffs except for last year. And even when you go 8-0 and in the bubble, you still don't make it. It's got to be frustrating. So there could be something there, you know, in terms of Booker was not liking it there and he was a big Chris Paul guy and he wanted him in. But overall, I mean, I, I, I don't know who won this trade because like you said, the Thunder may be going through sort of the Sixers like rebuild because two of the two best players that they got back in the draft, they already traded Kelly Oubre to the Warriors, Ricky Rubio to the Timberwolves, and they did get that 2022 first. So again, this is a trade that you're going to have to see how it plays out. I think that Chris Paul definitely gives a boost to the Suns team and where they were a year ago. Uh, overall, though, we'll have to see. So for you, do you think that the ceiling for them is almost like a Suns sneak into the playoffs and maybe get a win for a playoff game, and that's about it. Is that kind of where you see it? Because, I mean, you, I think you really have to look at it. The Thunder competed in the playoffs last year. They forced they forced game seven against the Rockets um, with a team that Chris Paul was leading. So do you think that this Suns team is capable of shocking some people if it comes to the playoff time? Yeah, I think best-case scenario is they win a round or they upset someone in the first round. Um, but I, I just don't, I just don't think the team is necessarily deep enough or talented enough, uh, have talented, talented enough wings to really do much more than that. Yep. Well, we'll have to see when it comes to the playoffs. Well, man, you know, it's just one of those moves that whenever a veteran and a guy, a big name like Chris Paul moves, you're on the watch for it. No doubt. Um, last night was the NBA draft. You know, this was a move that was kind of – it happened on Monday and kind of led to a couple more moves. And then we had the draft last night with a lot of moves. I want to get your takes before mine because I want to see where we line up for. I want to hear your biggest draft winner and your biggest draft night loser from the NBA. Yeah, so winner. Um, so my, I, I just have a few notes, the things I loved uh, before I get to my main winner. Kings got Tyrese Halliburton at 12. I thought he could have gone three or four. Um, I wanted the Knicks to take him, the Suns to take him. No one took him, and then the Kings got him. I think that's a great pick for them. OKC kept just getting more and more picks, and they took some. They took this Pokashevsky guy who's like seven foot, can dribble like a wing, can shoot like a guard, but is very like raw. But great for their team because they're rebuilding. They can see what he is. Uh, Memphis had no first round pick. They were eventually able to trade for Desmond Bain. A guy who we really wanted. Well, yeah, which, which, as as a Sixers fan, he was he. I absolutely love Tyrese Maxey, but I really wanted Desmond Bain. I think that he's got a lot of potential for three point yeah, shooting so at least. Memphis got him at thirty. That was great. And then Sixers Maxey fell to them. 
and they were able to get some some good shooters around Joel Embiid and kind of rebuild that team. But my uh, my biggest winner uh, was the Mavericks, who we talked about a little earlier. Um, I think that tr- the trade they did, gi- giving away Curry uh, for Richardson, was a great deal for them. I know I gave them an A plus. You're like A plus, like that's, that's a lot. I think it was that good of a trade for them because I think Richardson's a great fit next to to Luca. They need the defense there, and he, he's a good defender. Um, you can play alongside Luca, and they only had to give up Seth Curry, and they also got a pick with that. So, um, uh, with their picks, they had three first round picks. Three out of the first thirty six uh, picks were theirs, or one first round or two seconds, and they drafted Tyrell Terry, who fell to them. Another target uh, as a Sixers fan that I, I liked. He got to them in the second round, and he kind of can just do everything Seth Curry can do. So I feel like they had drafted another Seth Curry and then gave Seth Curry away for Josh Richardson and for Josh Richardson as a piece that can help them. And then they got Josh Green and um, Tyler Bay, two guys that are good defensively that can that can help them. So I just thought they got some quality picks, were able to get Richardson there, and that they're really building a great team around Luca. So that's my winner. Who's your biggest winner? Um, so I'm going to stick with the team that we talked about earlier in the show, and that was the Sixers just being, number one, Tyrese Maxey was someone who floated around conversation of being a lottery pick at the beginning and then kind of fell a little bit. So I also think that they got an absolute steal and a great value there. I really like the pick of Isaiah Joe. If you watch his tape, very solid three-point shooter, and give him two years or so, he could really be a nice piece off the bench three-point yeah, shooting-wise. Shot, Ten a game, ten threes a game in college, like his last. That's crazy. Ten threes a game. Yeah, and the Sixers aren't going to look for a guy to pull ten threes, but that that lets you know that this guy clearly is confident in his shot, which is something that the Sixers have needed. And then I think that the, the I I was kind of you know zoning out towards the end of it, but I was looking at the Paul Reed from DePaul draft pick, and that was a sneaky pick. They said that they would probably put him on a two way contract, um, but I've seen him drawing comparisons to kind of like a Jeremy Grant-like player who the Sixers initially had and then let him go and now developed into a very, very solid player for the Nuggets. So I think that if they're able to keep Paul Reed and develop him a little bit in the G League, he can really be something that, you know, he's caught up in about a year or two and really play well. And I just – my main thing was that it wasn't so much the draft, but as a whole they were able to get off that Horford contract. I calculated that in with my winner status. And my loser status – I thought that, you know, you could float around the Bulls pick because they got a lot of people mad. Um, a loser player, you could say topping because he dropped to the Knicks, and that's always kind of a sus pick. But for me, because of the news itself, I said that Golden State were losers of the draft night. I like James Wiseman. I just – I he just something about him screams to me he's not going to be as good as he was hyped up. Um, the Mannion pick was like – I think that he's got potential. He's a second-round pick. He was, you know, floated around idea being picked in the first and went to the second. Uh, I think that he's a very solid guard. I don't know how great he'll be. But for me, the thing that really did it for the losers going State was finding out that Clay Thompson was going to miss a second straight season with that Achilles injury, which as Sixers fan, Warriors fan, NBA fan, I don't know many people that don't like Clay Thompson. So it's just kind of heartbreaking to learn that after how hard he worked to recover from his torn ACL, he was about a month out from the season and now got a season-ending Achilles injury. And that really hurts Golden State, you know, and the fans. But I just think that that was – my biggest loser was Golden State, not so much because of what happened in the draft, but because 
finding out that you're not going to have Clay Thompson for a whole nother season, which is two full seasons without Clay Thompson. We could talk a lot about Clay. We're not going to talk too much about it. But, you know, Clay Thompson is a very one of the best shooters of all time. And so I'm curious where you're going in terms of who was a loser from draft night. Yeah, de- definitely the, the Warriors were a loser just because of the Clay thing. I thought their draft was fine. Um, but please of the Clay thing, uh, shout out to the Clay. Always been like one of my favorite players. Um, if not my favorite player who's not on the Sixers. Uh, love, just love what he did for shooting. I think he's just so underrated because everything, everyone kind of focuses on Steph. But Clay's right there with him. Did a lot for the league in terms of shooting. But my biggest loser in the draft and taking the draft into consideration only was the Suns. Um, they had the 10th pick of the draft. They had just traded for Chris Paul. They could have put, you know, another piece together. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton, who I brought up in the winners for the Kings, they got him at 12. I would have loved to see Tyrese Halliburton go there. He's a point guard who I really like. He, he's very good facilitator, can do a little bit of everything. And he could have, you know, Chris Paul could have kind of mentored him there. And then he would have been a good fit next, a good fit next to Booker uh, for, for a few years. So I really thought they had some they had some guys uh, there that they could make their team better. Instead, they went with Jalen Smith, a center from Maryland, who uh, is a solid player. He can shoot, which is good uh, for a center. But it was a good 10 to 15 picks earlier than uh, people thought he would go. And they have a lottery pick there, and they take a center there when they already have Aiton. Uh, they take a guy who projects to maybe be Aiden's backup and play maybe a little bit with him because he can shoot, even though they're both bigs. But I just think you can find backup centers anywhere to take one with the 10th pick in the draft, and you really could have uh, bolstered your team with Tyrese Halliburton or someone like Devin Vassell, who was still there, who's a good 3 and D player. I think there was way better picks that they could have made there. Sounds like if uh, if you were a local beat reporter, you would be absolutely slamming the Suns and like the CP trade, <laughs> and you called them the loser of the draft. Not a good week, good week for the Suns if you're David Shane. But um, like we were talking about, prayers up to Clay Thompson, man. We both love him, and everyone that I know loves Clay Thompson. It's really hard to know that he's going to miss two full seasons, but praying for his recovery, and hopefully next year we'll get to finally see him back. And I just I have a feeling he's going to come out and have a tremendous season when he does return. Before we close out the show, like we always do, want to give you bets for the weekend. But first, we got to talk about something real quick. Back-to-back weeks, your boy has gone 3-0 on the lines at 6-0 the past two weeks on picking lines. I need some competition. I'm on fire. So now we're going to change things up for a bit. As opposed to Bushy's best bets for the week, we're going to do a battle of the bets. And I'm going to give you three lines. David's going to give you three lines. Now, we didn't discuss these beforehand, so they could be similar. They could be completely different. We don't know, but we're going to give you three lines each and we're going to match it up and see how we do. We both can go three and oh, we both can go oh and three. We don't know. I absolutely love my picks this week, like I have the past two weeks when I went three and oh in back to back weeks. So I'll give you my three first and you'll hear from David. For me, my first one the Eagles are three point dogs to the Browns. The Browns only beat the Texans 10 7 last week. And so I just, I love the Eagles to cover here. You know, last week was extremely disappointing. They were getting absolutely slammed by media, both national and local. And I think that they're going to hear the talk. I think that they're capable of actually beating the Browns. But I think that if they're going to lose to the Browns, it's going to be by one or two. So I have the Eagles to cover to the Browns. My second one, Rams are four-point dogs to the Buccaneers. I don't think – I don't have much to say here. 
I'll take the Rams to cover that. I think the Rams are one of the more underappreciated teams in the NFC. And I don't know if I'm fully sold on the Buccaneers yet. So I really like the Rams to cover that. And the Patriots are favored by one and a half points in their matchup against the Texans this week. They're on the rise. You know, they beat the Ravens. I like them to cover that one and a half against the Texans. I think Cam's going to have a big game. So for me, I got the Eagles to cover three and a half dogs of the Browns. Rams to cover four points to the to the Buccaneers and the Patriots to cover 1.5 favorites to the Texans. Now, remember this. All these lines are given to you by FanDuel, not a sponsor. Thursday, November 19th is when we got these lines. So they're subject to change at any given moment. David, who are your three picks for the weekend? So uh, my first pick is the, uh, the Jaguars get the host, uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, but uh, I think 10 and a half to Pittsburgh, usually when a good team faces the, the, the Jaguars, they're favored by, you know, 13, 14, and now it's only 10. Uh, I think Pittsburgh is going to go in there and they're going to, they're, they're going to crush their, their QB, Jacksonville's QB, Jake Luton, who, who just was thrown in there uh, and, didn't, and had an okay day last week, but it's only his second start. I think that defense gonna, is going to hold them to maybe even single digits. So I'll take the uh, Pittsburgh to cover that 10 and a half. Um, and then we do have one uh, similar bet. So we're either going to either uh, go 0-1 or 1-0 and and with this bet and have the same thing. But I think the Eagles can cover against the Browns. The Browns only beat the Texans by three last week. Uh, and the Eagles are coming off a spot here where they need to play well. They just had a, ba- a bad game against the Giants. And uh, Cleveland, I-, I just don't have faith in, in Baker Mayfield to, to you know, uh, put on a show against the Eagles defense. So I-, I think it'll be a close game. I think it'll be decided by a field goal. So I'll take the, the Eagles to cover the three and a half. And then my last one is, uh, I think you actually both might disagree with that, with this one. You can tell me what you think of just about this one is the Raiders are given plus eight and a half, but I'll take the chiefs in a revenge game here. Um, that the Raiders uh, beat them uh, the last time they faced. And I think when you're the chiefs and you're that good, you need a reason to get up and play some games. And I think that a division game one uh, that you can, Andy Reid can say like, we need revenge on this team for beating us and giving us our only loss. Uh, I think that they're going to be ready to go for this one. And there's only one uh, one seed that's going to be on a, a bye in the playoffs, and they need to make up ground on the undefeated Steelers. I almost almost picked the Raiders to cover that because I picked I them. The, you might. I picked them the past two weeks, and they done me real well. But I didn't want to pick the same team three weeks in a well in a row. Um, I do understand where you're coming from. I think that the Chiefs will come out on top, but there's just something about the Raiders where they're sneaky good, and I think that they'll have it within three to five points, but. You know, it is what it is. I think the Chiefs will win that game, but just something about the Raiders to me screams like, watch out for this team come the wild card. Yeah, it's definitely but, a risky one on my part, but yeah, I'll but go for it. For those of you listening, you can if you didn't catch it, it was the first time, you can go back, rewind it, mark them down. This is our first ever battle of the bets. We'll see where it lands. Looking forward to it. Uh, we want to thank you guys again, like always, for giving us a listen. We're always appreciative of you guys, you know, giving us a listen, letting us know what you think. If there's topics you want to hear, Bushy Baller Brand Podcast on Twitter, Bushy Baller Brand Podcast on Instagram. Look us up, send us requests of topics you want us to talk about or anything like that, thoughts on the show. You know, we always love feedback, ways that we can improve the show. We want to thank you guys 
for giving us a listen. We will take a week off next week for Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving to everybody listening to this. And we'll be back in two weeks recording. For David Shane, once again, I am Bushy White. We thank you for the viewership. And we look forward to recording and putting out another show for you guys two weeks from today.